Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast's political discussion for July 2021. Welcome back to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast. Uh, We were not planning on doing this in July. We were planning to try and take a month off from the political discussion, but... Politics does not end, so we do not either. Uh, Today we have on our great, our incredible, our knowledgeable political commentator, Jennifer Sanford. Jennifer, thank you so much for once again doing this and once again doing this on such short notice. Hey, no, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, Yesterday, because I was trying to figure out timeline, literally yesterday, uh, at about 10.30 Eastern Standard Time on the backdrop of the Canadian Historical... Uh, sorry, I just want to make sure I get the name of the building right here. Uh, I literally had it here two seconds ago. You probably know what it is, but I'm It's the not. Canadian History Museum. Canadian History. I was going to say Historical Museum, but it wasn't a History Museum mm-hmm. in Gatineau, Quebec. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau announced his next pick for the Governor General of Canada, which is Mary Simon. Mary Simon is an incredible woman who has a resume that would make any resume look bad. Uh, She is an Indigenous person. She hails from uh, Northern Quebec. Uh, She is an Aboriginal Inuit woman. And this is the first for Canada to have an Indigenous or Aboriginal person or Inuit person in this role. Uh, Jennifer, what was your opinion of this announcement on a Tuesday with no prior warning for a lot of people? Well, you know, in a in a government that loves good, good leaks, this was really well under wraps. Um, that's my political piece around it. But, you know, I, I think that this is a tremendous choice uh, for governor general. And I think that this is an incredibly smart, smart pick for uh, the prime minister and, and the, the liberal infrastructure who will use this as the basis of, of an election. One of the things that I think is particularly poignant is the idea of, of reconciliation as representation. And uh, we saw that, you know, yesterday, I think she even used those words uh, in her um, in her remarks. Uh, I think this is a strong pick for us. And this is a strong pick for Canadians, um, you know, coast to coast. I support this choice. It was uh, interesting to hear the media's narrative around this pick in the last uh, 24 hours. And it was especially interesting to hear the first two questions that came out of reporters' mouths uh, during this press conference. The first one was about an impending election, which we'll be talking about here shortly. But the second one was about uh, Miss Simon's lack of French. Uh, mm. She is not uh, officially bilingual. She does know, uh, and I, I don't know the official word of her native language, but her language, but also English. And she has taken up the mantle to try and learn French during her time in office. Does this hurt the liberals? Because you did talk about the narrative about reconciliation, but using it during an election. Does this hurt liberals potentially in Quebec? No, not at all. And this is where we see the mastery of a good narrative construction. Like maybe this is just my PR hat on too tight, but <laughs> there's there's some mastery here. And in, in when they talked about like you're you're not a French French speaking Canadian, how do you how do you reconcile this? And the the narrative pivot was was quite 
um, provocative and very emblematic of exactly what people uh, in Quebec would want to hear, especially on the heels of um, of Bill 96 and their and their desire to be a unilingual province. It was I would love to have learned French. I was not provided that opportunity. And I think that that was to my disadvantage as a person. And I think that I'm not only making the commitment to speak French, but I think it should be, you know, a larger commitment that we that we have as our second official language. You know, that that is a very appealing message to Quebec because it reinforces that it's, you know, it's it's quintessential and it's important um, if you want to have a position of national importance that you speak French. I also believe that, you know, her commitment to learn French um, is a forthright commitment. I think that she is a woman of integrity and I actually don't think she'll struggle with it at all. Um, but I think more importantly than that, I think it's important to remember that the infrastructure of the governor general's office is largely French speaking individuals and they'll cover her blind side to be able to do that. But um, I think that it was a very intentional narrative construction, not to say, no, I don't speak French. And, and I appreciate that that's you know disheartening for people of Quebec. It was, hey, listen, I am a Quebec. I, I hail from Quebec. And I feel I was dis disadvantaged and disenfranchised by not having the opportunities to learn French. And, and that's a part of my, my history and, and, my, and my personal narrative. So I think it was very well cushioned, if I could say that. Well, I found I found the narrative around why she wasn't uh, bilingual in French quite uh, interesting as well, because she openly talked about it during the press conference that she went to a day school, a federally run day school in. And I want to make sure I get this right here uh, in Fort. And I forget the last name here, but she went to a federally funded day school, which is an equivalent to a residential school. But the kids were able to go home. This day school that she went to, uh, there's been lawsuits out of the school from students, past students, uh, suing the administrators. This narrative of residential schools and everything that's happening in the last few, probably in the last month and a half around the residential schools, around finding a horrendous amount of bodies uh, of children is a perfect way to acknowledge what has happened but also to say we made mistakes we're putting someone in that position who who lived that experience who lived the horrendous abilities or uh, horrendous atrocities of the day schools and the residential schools as well i think it's bigger than that honestly i was thinking about this yesterday i think it's bigger than that i think one of the things that I have really been trying to champion, and if you listen to my podcast, conservative like me, um, will be linked you know, in the show notes. <laughs> yes, thank you. Please listen to it. Um, I really aspire to have it as popular as this show. Um, but one of the things that that you know I really talk about on my own podcast is how do we elevate into adaptive leadership? How do we elevate the state of discourse? to, to really, um, you know, be meaningful in how we take, you know, the good and the bad that happens to us as Canadians and, and elevate that into greater discourse. I'm, I've been really frustrated since, um, you know, we've been continuing and we will continue to adjudicate what happened to residential schools. And we continue to find these unmarked grave sites, which is going to be, you know, of, you know, national disappointment and, and, and reckoning, really. I've been disappointed that the narrative has been, you know, defacing monuments and um, a, you know, one leader saying this is about cancel culture and trying to protect Canada Day. And should we celebrate Canada Day? And, you know, who's really, you know, 
speaking on behalf of these indigenous communities? Is it just woke liberalism? Like, I mean, the, the level of discourse has been so disappointing that for the liberal, that for, for Trudeau and, and, and his infrastructure to say, we're going to get out, out of the arena and we're going to get up into the balcony and we're going to select someone who really, I think, is going to really live this principle of reconciliation as representation, I think is an incredibly bold maneuver for him. And for as much as I am hard on the prime minister and God knows I'm hard on him, um, you know, I really give him a lot of benefit for this. I don't really see this like, yes, it is political, but I agree largely with what's coming out of the National Post around the narrative that this really is about saying we need to elevate the dialogue here if we're going to find a way forward in a, in a, in a functional way. And for a lot of people who were critics of like, you know, this monument was defaced and why didn't he say anything? And what are we going to do with all the buildings named after Sir John A. Macdonald? And how do we reconcile, you know, him as a good prime minister versus, you know, the atrocities of residential schools, you know, he was remarkably silent and, you know, people thought, you know, this is poor leadership, but I think the reality was, is that there was a recognition whether conscious or or not. And I want to be careful not to give too much gravitas where it may not be due. But there was an opportunity for for them to say, you know, there's a bigger play here. We have a governor general seat open. We know it has to be filled by someone of diversity. You know, this isn't this is an opportunity that's coming together for us. Um, what pisses me off is that, you know, I have been saying here, there and everywhere I would really like to see an indigenous woman be the next governor general. I, I heard the drumbeat. Um, no pun intended there. I heard the I heard the the issuing of of thoughts on online around should Jody Wilson Raybould be the next governor general. Obviously, my position is that we really really need her in the House of Commons. I think she's a voice of 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 you know good discipline control and you know, a, a relationship builder. But for those who wanted Jody Raybould Wilson as their governor general, man, they've got to be um They've got to be feeling pretty good because they got pretty close in terms of a value system in in Mary Simon. And Mary Simon has been on the short list for a few rounds of governor general picks. Uh, there's been reports that uh, Stephen Harper was going to choose her as the governor general over uh, David Johnson, but David Johnson did uh, become the governor general. Rob Oliphant, uh, member of parliament for downtown Toronto, uh, said that he was very much championing Mary Simon in the last round uh, under when they chose uh, Julia, Julia Payette, uh, but he was ecstatic that the... Uh, Prime Minister had chosen her, Mary Simon, in this round. Um, the one thing that I want to do, I'll talk about a little bit here, is the selection committee. Uh, after the resignation of the former Governor General, uh, Trudeau announced a uh, selection committee to give him a list of names for potentially the next governor general in the press conference. He did talk about that. It was a short list that uh, the list that he got was a short list. And he uh, did end up going with Mary Simon because she has a long history of negotiation because she has a long history in uh, the diplomatic world. She has an extensive career and looking at her resume has been incredible journey because she has been instrumental in so many so many creations of indigenous issues uh indigenous panels and also she was an ambassador and you can't get a higher appointment than that as the first indigenous ambassador to a country from canada so i think this was an incredible appointment and the political party leaders going on your point here came out in support of her. There was one that I was a little bit shocked about how he 
phrased his congratulations to Miss Simon. And I'm not sure if you read this tweet, but it was Mr. Jugmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP party. I'm going to pull it up right now because I, I literally got this um, and I'm reading and to quote him on behalf of the new Democrats, we congratulate and welcome Miss Mary Simon. She has an impressive career and continues to break down barriers as the first indigenous and first Inuit governor general general. Miss Simon brings an extensive and years of experience as an advocate to her new role, which you think would be enough. But he continued. And this is the part where it became political and every other party leader stayed unpolitical in this uh, congratulations, but he went political. We also hope that today marks a new era for the hardworking staff who support the governor general. They deserve assurances that they can do their work safely and respectfully. We welcome Ms. Simon's words that suggest that she wants to create a new positive working environment for all. Without attacking Justin Trudeau, he attacked Justin Trudeau with the appointment of Juliet Payette, correct? Oh, for sure. Um, so a couple converging converging things there. You know, Jagmeet Singh is headed to an election where, you know, he largely has not delivered, right? He's propped up the, the existing government. And so he'll have to carve his own narrative there. So, um, you know, seizing opportunity. I'm not sure this was it, but they do have a new brand new director of communications in that role. So, uh, you know, there's maybe something about, you know, trying to prove something there. Um, I, yeah, I read it and thought it was an, it was a nothing sandwich. My, my beef continues to be with, uh, with the conservative party who I think had every opportunity rather than picking low hanging fruit on this issue um, could have been smart enough to say, um, you know, we we hope to stand in the House of Commons and say, we hope you will elect an Indigenous individual in this role. It's clear that we need that representation and leadership. And then they could have shared in some of the joy of Mary Simon being being selected. But instead, they didn't want to do that. They wanted to focus on things that got Canadians mad and, you know, held their ire. And I don't I don't think that that was a smart maneuver. So I, I have disappointment on all sides for people who chose to make this about about something other than the, the election of a really, really smart choice. I, I, I also think I was going to save this, but I'm going to say it now. I also think (laughs) there's a, there's a a political maneuver I love and, and people who, who are political consultants know this, we call it, say it. And it really is this moment where you do so good that you have to make every other political party go. Yeah you did good. And that's really what, that's really what the prime minister did yesterday was he just looked at all the other political parties and said, say it say it and they all had to go yes this is an outstanding appointment and we believe that the the prime minister made a smart decision in in choosing this for for our next governor general and that sets you up great for an election so you know i think there were wins all around but again i don't i don't want to make mary simon into, into a i know that she plays a political piece here but i think it's um i think it's really important just to recognize that you know, we live in a time of of dramatic declarations and the uh, the endless identification of clear villains and clear victims and narratives to support that. And I think as a country, when we choose to focus on someone who says, you know, I, I have a greater level of dialogue and successful momentum um, is is evident by focusing on a balance of individual rights and the greater good. You know, we can do this. Um, and and let's start here with really tangible things. And and Mary Simon offers a long list of tangible things. I mean, one of the very first things I tweeted out yesterday was that you know very noteworthy clip between Pierre Elliott Trudeau and and Mary Simon 
where he he they were talking about the 1982 constitution which i i'm becoming an an unlicensed expert of uh following <laughs> bill 96 but um when he said like you know equality is in the eye of the beholder and sh- and she says no equality is uh, equality is recognized and and representation is recognized and all these years later she's going to prove that point to all of us and but le- but let me also be clear just to step away i I don't see Mary Simon just as someone who's going to, to, to play a role in reconciliation. I think she's going to be a very disciplined governor general. And I think she's going to bring a lot of dignity to that office. And I don't think she's going to need any special staircases to do it. Sorry. Couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. No. no, And I completely understand. She, she is the governor general that we need for the time that we are having right now. This appointment, like you said, is the perfect appointment. The only concern that I have is, and this is a big is, we said this about Julia Payette. I didn't. So enjoy that. Did you not? No, no, no way. No. I've always believed that the role of governor general should go to someone who knows what adaptive leadership is, someone who knows how to work with people, not someone who has a famous pedigree, not someone like this is not, if you have, if you have an element of achievement, then you should be awarded the Order of Canada. If you have real leadership in, in bringing people and ideas together and, and, and working in a way that represents the highest form of dignity and Canadian values, then you get to be the governor, governor general. I, I was not ever a fan of, of, of Julie Payette. I, I believe that it was about flash in the pan at a time when we needed someone to really, I, I, I thought she was influenceable and I don't like that for the governor general. I just, I never felt that she was the right fit as a, as a head of state. I'm, and that, you know, how it ended doesn't inform that early thinking. I just felt like, yes, she's, you know, she's a scientist and an astronaut and that's a wonderful thing. Um, But that's, you know, enjoy your order of Canada for that. I think we needed, you know, Mary Simon is a, she is a diplomat. She is someone who understands how things work and, and believes in a, in a higher level of leadership. And that's what the governor general role should be. True. Um, We will jump into our, uh, sort of a segue here into the next segment, which is going to be a long segment because this is going to be one that I'm basically just going to turn the microphone over to Jen and she <laughs> is going to rant probably for about a good 20 minutes. What's happening with the Conservative Party of Canada? They are in a tailspin of epic proportions. Poll after poll, and yet again, yesterday, uh, earlier last night, there was really some polls that had them bouncing back a bit. But in the last week and a half, the Conservative Party of Canada, under Aaron O'Toole, has dropped to the lowest support across Canada any unified Conservative Party has ever seen in its history. What is going on, in your opinion? Well, it's just a, it's just a culmination of things. So you're exactly right. The new abacus data says that there's a 10 point spread on the, on the liberals and conservatives. And that's, that's big enough that I've been very committed of that. They're going to call a fall election, but man, if I'm Trudeau and I'm looking at these numbers, I'm starting to think, can I campaign in the summer? You know, should this look different elections, Canada, that, that's really who I've been following is saying like, we're ready. We're, Hey, Hey, hey we're ready. <laughs> So um, we, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. Um, I, you know, I still think it's going to be a, a fall show, although I, man, these are perfect, perfect weather conditions for him to, for him to fly. 
Okay, so the Conservative Party, man, it's getting hard to be an advocate for conservatism in this country. Can I just say that out loud? I saw Um, that tweet and I wanted to say some more things than I did, but I was just I held my breath. I like your blind support when you're just like we're we're getting Jennifer an emotional support animal at this point um, to help her out. Um, Yeah, it's how absolutely disappointing. Um, It's a combination of things. One, it's a lack of clarity if they actually at this point as a party want to be elected or if this is just about trying to figure out who's the loudest voice in the tent. I've talked about that on this podcast before and certainly on my own. So that's point number one. Point number two is that you start to have deviation from this party. They can't get on a narrative and stay on a line. Um, But the biggest thing, the biggest thing is that politics 101 is not complicated. It's just three things. It's reality therapy, being able to look and say, this shit is broken. And then it is good political ideas. And then it's selling those ideas to the public. That's it. Those are the three things that you have to do. And conservatives are struggling in all three buckets. On the reality therapy side, I think they have too much institutional, hey, we're doing great conversations. I think they have a lack of ability to to have people from the outside saying like, this isn't working. Like this isn't working. This isn't resonating. I think that five point action plan focuses backwards versus focusing forward. Like, hey, we're going to demand a full review on the pandemic. Buddy, the pandemic is coming to an end. We need a vision for the for the next thing, not we're going to hold a government that's no longer in a power to account. And that's how we're going to lead. I just I just think that maybe they've taken the word opposition party too literally. They're not they're alternative. You're the alternative. So where they have a political idea, your job is not just simply to shit on it. And then that becomes Canadians two choices. This is a this is the idea. And this is the you know, this is you know, what the problem is with it. They need a compelling alternative narrative. They need true policy ideas. They need to be able to say, this is what's imaginative. This is what's possible. I don't believe in like the blind proliferation of hope, but I do believe in the power of momentum and potential. And for someone to say, we have to adjudicate these five issues and they're not all related to the pandemic. I just, I'm so endlessly frustrated. And then it's how they sell their proposition to Canadians. And I'll use myself as an example. This is so self-serving, but I'll use myself as an example. I have a podcast called Conservative Like Me and a stunning amount of people listen to this podcast. It resonates with people. People like it. Every day, every day without fail, I hear from someone who is like, why can't what you believe become what the party believes? If conservatism is what you say it is, then, oh my God, I'm a conservative. And I've often said this on the podcast before. I think at the heart of all of us is a conservative thinker. I think in a lot of segments that vote liberal, I think about immigrants, I think about people from certain religious population groups, they are inherently conservative by the sheer force of their values. And yet they vote liberal because it's just like, here's a party that's going to invest in me and give me taxation benefits that benefit me. And then here's like a whole bucket of crazy. And I think that is so to the disadvantage of the conservative party. And you take, you take a someone like me who is speaking out on conservative conservatism, who is being vocal for it when there are serious consequences to my, you know, to my well being by being a conservative. And yet you'd think that 
someone in some infrastructure somewhere would say, why can't we capitalize on these voices and see that there's obviously salience and momentum? Instead, they continue to be in their echo chamber and they continue in these small little cycles of, you know, here's five little things we're going to do. And here's how we hate, you know, the other parties. And, and the problem is, is they need to step away and say, we need other parties to play with us in the sandbox. We need to have progressive ideas that, 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 represent our momentum of Canada. We need to understand that the majority of voters are sitting in the middle of the political spectrum and they, we can get them. We can get them. And I think until they figure this out, we're just going to roll through leaders. Like I think the days are numbered for Aaron O'Toole. Um, I think, and I think, (laughs) and I think, you know, right behind it, we're probably going to see what a leadership challenge by uh, I'm thinking Candice Bergen, Michael Chong, Joe, um, uh, Pierre, uh, yeah, Paul Pierre Lee. and um, and uh, Michelle, Michelle Gardner, and but in, it's going to be the same problem. It's not the person. It's not the person. It's the political ideas. That's the only way forward for the conservatives. And when I look at this polling, and I see a ten point spread, I think somebody owes somebody an apology. Like clean house now, Aaron O'Toole. Yeah. If you're listening, clean house now. Oh, he's probably not listening to a Chris Brown podcast after my interview with him when he first ran for the nomination of the Conservative Party of Canada's Durham riding in 2012. But who knows? Yes, but his his MPs are listening to my podcast, which is going issue by issue through policies and saying, this is the opportunity for you to innovate. This is where you can bring Canadians along. And this is the data to support it. So it's out. And I'm not the only one. I'm not. There's lots of us that are out there saying Please do better. And the way forward is not with the character of the leader. The way forward is with the character of the policy and how you sell it to people in a way that says, I belong here. The Conservative Party, uh, the, oh, sorry, I should start this question, this statement again. The Alberta Conservatives uh, MPs recently released a video of things that they're holding the Trudeau government to account in that video, they had, I would say, about I would I, roughly the majority of MPs talking on it. Not one time did you see a photo of Aaron O'Toole. Mm. Not one time did you, like you heard the mention of Aaron O'Toole, the leader, but you did not see a photo working with the party. You did not see him coming out, but he retweeted it. The Conservatives in Alberta are getting decimated. The rise of two political parties, the Maverick Party and the People's Party of Canada. I know they are radical wings of the conservative movement, but they are issues for the conservative party in the next election. Poll after poll in Alberta has the conservative party of Canada below 50 percent, below 50 percent. The last one I saw, and I'm just going to pull it up right in here, 54 percent. And then below that was 38% in Alberta. And that was two polls in the last month. The Conservative Party in Alberta should not be below 60%. Andrew Scheer did not go below 60%. You saw an increase of support in Alberta for the Conservative Party. What is happening in Alberta? Does Jason Kenney have to wear some of this as well because of the pandemic issues? Or is it an underlying tone of... Aaron O'Toole flip-flopping, and I use this word lightly, on the carbon tax. Um, I think Kenny has a small part in this to play. 
I think that there's a real time where especially young people who are very vocal um, are feeling frustrated with a provincial conservative party. So that's part of it. I don't necessarily think it's the carbon tax. I think it's the issue of languish. Albertans feel like they're being left to languish. They feel like they do not have representation. And I think right on top of that, they feel like their vote has been taken for granted. And frankly, it's not unfounded. I mean, I always think that, you know, electorally, people think that Albertans are, you know, Neanderthals, like we just don't quite understand how things work. So we just go and look for the blue box and ticket and go home. And I think that that's so disingenuous for how Albertans think. I mean, we're young, we're bright, we're entrepreneurial and we vote. But the problem is, is a systems thinking problem. This election will come down to Ontario, Quebec and British Columbia. That will be how you will elect the next prime minister. And Aaron O'Toole has figured that out. So he's creating, you know, opportunities for himself in those three markets and operating under the assumption that his, his, you know, there's safety in Alberta. And I think that that is a strategy that will bite you in the ass and is very disappointing. And I, 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 I'm not quite sure at this point, this is my July, 2021 statement. I'm not quite sure at this point, how much we should be worried about these independence parties and the Maverick party. Like, I'm not sure how much we should be worried about them. Um, because there always is a, a real differential between how people express their disappointment in a poll and how people ultimately go to vote. I feel the same thing with with uh, the Liberal Party, and I think that they're thinking about this in the summer, which is that young people do love to vote Liberal, but it's also the summer. <laughs> and then does that translate into a vote versus an older demographic that has a tendency to vote Conservative is a very reliable voting base. So you have to consider the discrepancy between how polls work and how voting ultimately manifests itself. So where was I going with this thought? See, I'm so, I'm so in up over my head because I'm so mad at the conservative party. I don't know where to go. Um, Just on that note, I, I have something to piggyback. My other conservative friend. Yes, that's right. I have two. That's oh right. Boy. People. Look I'm expanding my group. Um, my other uh, a conservative friend of mine stated this, and this hit close to home to me because I, I, I took what he said and I actually thought about it for a few days. And I want to pose this question to you. Aaron O'Toole does not want to win the next election. The reason why is because all the pandemic help that Trudeau has put out has to come to an end soon. Right. Do you want to be the party that cancels everything and then gets decimated in the polls next election? Or do you want to be the party that after the incumbent government cancels all these programs comes in and says, here's how we are, we are going to recover from this. What is your opinion on that statement? Well, I think if you're a political party, you want to govern. And you want to govern when it's convenient and when it's horrendously inconvenient. Like if you want it, you want it. You don't want it when it's when it's good. And I feel this way about the leadership race in the conservative party. I, you'd have a hard time getting my vote. If you were like, well, I was just waiting for the time to be right when it was probably more likely that I would win. Uh, if you had fight in you, you should have, you should have, you, you run when you've got the fight in you. Um, you it, it will be a difficult, it would have been a difficult proposition um, to be the incoming party and have to adjudicate all of this, 
all of this COVID money that has to come away and, and really rebuilding the economy. It isn't a desirable position, but at the end of the day, you have a moral responsibility to be an alternative voice and a secondary choice for Canadians. And we can have all we want about the NDP block greens, anything we want. But at the end of the day, we are largely a two party system of liberals and conservatives. And the conservatives have a have a have a responsibility to Canadians to be to be ready and to be prepared to govern at any time. And so, yes, it will be an unfortunate period to govern. But once again, it is reckless of of it is reckless and disingenuous to the 35 million of us to be the party that gets to govern when the other party naturally fails. I've, I've never believed that that is the potential of, and, and, and that was largely my criticism of Andrew Scheer. It was like, well, when you're done with this rock star, you can come and be married to this responsible accountant. And I'm like, no, people want the rock star. Why don't you also be a rock star? What's the problem here? And, um, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's my thought on it. I an think. American accountant at that and an American insurance broker. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to throw that out there. A responsible Um, bus driver with one to two, but no more than four accidents. We we've talked about uh, the potential looming of a campaign. Um, Justin Trudeau has made his first stop in Alberta as we are recording this today since 2019, since the election. Um, What are your predictions of actually going to an election because I've read the Twitter tea leaves, which you always believe what Twitter says, because if that's the case, (laughs) Derek Fildebrandt's God, (laughs) the Western standards, amazing. But what is the, what is your prediction of potential election within the next few weeks? Because prime ministers do not go on cross country tours without a alternative agenda. Okay, so my funny PR answer is that, of course, he moves around um, in the summer because he does best in the bathing suit competition part of the running for prime minister. Right. He gets all of his good summer PR in and his, you know, his gorgeous tan versus Aaron O'Toole, who can't stay in the sun more than eight minutes or we've got problems. So he's got an upper advantage there. But no, I am I am less sure than I was the last time you had me on, Chris, because I had thought the fall, the fall, because it's going to fall creates a sense of normal. And he wants to have the full cyclical nature of I moved you through a pandemic and now I'm really going to drive this. But a few little things have happened right now. We've got a seat for Mark Carney right now. We've got a place for him to belong. Ottawa Center, but there's a former liberal MPP running for that riding. Yeah, no. Now we've got a spot for, you know, with Catherine McKenna out, which we totally skip over the fact that she's like, I want to be committed to climate change and I can do that more by not being the the former environment minister within the governing government. Um, So, um, you know, but we've got a spot for Mark Carney. The polling indicates a really good spread. Um, people don't care about your blunders, right? Like this bill C10, I thought was going to be something it wasn't Canadians didn't care. Now the bill's dead. Um, I, you know, his previous scandals have somehow only made him more charming and he's got a very loyal base. He's kind of like kiss or the rolling stones in a very loyal base. They're in it for the farewell tour here. Cause I do think if he runs in this election, it will be his last. Um, I am less majority. Yes. Yeah. And I think he, I th- I'm less sure. I'm less sure, but I have conflicting thoughts on a summer election because 
it's, 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 uh, it's difficult to hold people in to hold their attention. People are exhausted. They want to get out. They want to play. They want to have fun. But on the flip side, do they associate that play and fun then with having it be earned because the leadership got them through a pandemic? I'm not sure. The the, the big the, the two things that I watch for are are elections Canada saying that they're ready and they are. And are you going to keep the border closed because you've got to keep Canadians here if you want to campaign and you want to vote? And it looks like Trudeau is going to try to keep this border closed all summer. So the window is there. Um, I, but I still think that the fall is a smarter choice here. But I don't know if he, if he doesn't call it in the next week. He's not calling it. He'll call it in the summer so or in the, in the fall. In the fall. So in the my fall. opinion on this is he's just recently, like as of yesterday, announced a governor general pick. He yes. will want to see her installed as the governor general because she is currently the governor general designate. And that will probably be the last week of July, the first week of August. Mm-hmm. Um, schools back in session, hopefully across Canada in September. Middle of September is probably the best bet for him to go to the polls because everyone's back in school. Everyone's winding down from a great summer. People are out camping. It's going to feel like normal. It has to feel like normal. This is the quintessential thing. It's going to feel like normal, but that's the perfect time. Two weeks into September, perfect time to hold an election. Not call it, call it the first week or first or second week of August. And then the middle of September, we will be at the polls. That is my prediction. That is what I'm thinking because I'm reading the tea leaves like you are. If he waits longer, do the conservatives bounce back? Is no, there... I, I don't I don't think the conservatives are going to bounce back. So the question is, can you hold the spread? Like how much can you mm-hmm. hold the spread and and how much can you can you proliferate goodwill? The other thing that I was thinking about is that you and I are both based in Alberta currently. Yeah. And we're really seeing like the like the world is open. I went out for the first time yesterday and someone told me, oh, you don't have to have a mask on. And I was just it was just felt so bizarre to me that we were just kind of at that point. In Ontario, they're still looking at lockdowns. They're still looking like, and they're going to need the majority of the summer to get where they need to be to to have a new sense of normal. So I think we also have to look at like other regions of this country and their sense of, of creating normal. But I do believe that, you know, one, one parent somewhere is going to drop their kids off at school in September and say the words, man, this feels so normal. And then all of a sudden an election will be triggered. I, I'm not sure about an announcement in August. I think more about an announcement in, in September when it's sort of back to business, but I don't, I don't know. And it's so, I am always skewed because you know, his father, like Pierre Elliott, you know, he ran one through Christmas. So, you know, who knows? Right. And Paul Martin ran one through Christmas and he mm-hmm. got defeated. And the last time a summer election was called was 2015. And we all remember what happened to Stephen Harper with an extended long uh, campaign period. He got decimated, which he Trudeau could do. He could call another seven week campaign. Because and I think it, he will. I think he you, will. You think so? Yeah, I do. I think he'll call a long election period again. It worked the last time. It'll work again. It, he, did he do it in 2019? Yes. Oh, I don't remember. Yes, it felt that. unprecedented long. Yes. Well, I think it felt um, unprecedented long because everyone had a scandal come out within like every two seconds. Yes. Uh, um, the only that's the that's the other issue, and we can dive into that later on. But we, the unknown. That's what every party has to worry about is the unknown. Uh oh. Uh oh. 
What's happened? <laughs> you all right, Chris? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Twitter is blowing up because something's happening in Calgary right now. And people are speculating that this means that there's going to be an election like we're doing right now. So <laughs> are you getting some tweets as well? I am. I am. About, about what? Uh, I don't. I think people are curious, but I, I haven't heard anything. I am. Let's put it this way. I think I'm more right than you are right now. Really? You think he's calling it? He's calling it. I think I'm more right than you are. <laughs> <laughs> this is breaking news. Do you have a Kion or something that cuts in now? I, I, I'm saying that September is a great month for an election. Uh, well, you know what? He's got the momentum. He's got the numbers. Because what happens in September? Everyone says, this is normal. I'm going to vote for normality. That's right. That's right. And you've got another party that's, you know, just picking low hanging fruit. Right. Yeah. And the NDP are getting decimated right now. So yeah, it's be interesting. I think. Yeah, and I think Jagmeet Singh should enjoy his last summer as the leader of the NDP. Yep, and welcome to Nikki Ashton. <laughs> think so? Think that's oh, who's next? Nikki or Charlie, but I think Nikki is probably the best bet. Mm. Just because she's the most vocal out of the party. But anyway, without that, with <laughs> I feel like we're leaving on a bad note here. But <laughs> Jennifer, thank you so much for doing this. This has been fun. Um, uh, we have dived into a lot of things and i think we will one of us will be right and one of us will be wrong <laughs> oh no we will see just like our bet last time we will see who has to pay that great steak dinner oh my god i better have a bake sale i mean he's got it i mean the the potential is there i you know i wouldn't be surprised um i mean all all signs point to this being feasible and and conservatives having to select an, a new leader in the in the winter Hey, it'd be a good time to have another conversation in the winter about conservative politics. Jennifer, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. All right. You take good care. Cross-Border Interview Podcast was produced, edited by Miranda Brown Associates Incorporated.